When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. What's going on, MD Nation? We're back on the MD's Fantasy Football Show this Sunday night. We're going to recap all of the Sunday afternoon Week 2 games as we are live while the Sunday night game is up and going in the second half, that is. Don't worry. We're going to recap that game, the Monday night game, and go through our waiver wire report for you guys on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. That's what we do here. That's what we're going to do for you. This is more of the set schedule. Last week, we weren't able to go live on Sunday. That's why we had to do the abbreviated recap on Tuesday morning. Typically speaking, I like to go into a little bit more detail, talk a little bit more about sell highs and buy lows and drops and things of that nature, just get into more of the minutia of what happened, of how to move forward. That's the big thing about recaps. It's how to move forward and analyze the data that we now have to evaluate our team in the future. And we get to do that a little bit more because now we get to be on an hour and a half while I get to recap just Sunday shows. And then we can do the Monday night and Sunday night recap tomorrow and then do the waiver wire report. So that's how this typically goes for those of you who are new to the show. For those of you who aren't, thank you again for joining. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and let's get into it. Let's get into it with the Tennessee Titans and the Seattle game, the kick it all off. We'll work our way back. We're starting with the last four o'clock game to end. Another game that goes into overtime. We've had some nice overtime thrillers. Uh, here the last two weeks, that much is for sure. Tennessee comes in this game as a whole, obviously, played a lot better as a team than what we saw against Arizona. There wasn't one player getting five sacks, and as a result, things were able to flourish. What I'll do is just from a general sense is just say this. Obviously, the Titans are going to be a fantasy gold mine all season long. Why? 
because their defense can't stop anybody. Didn't stop anybody in Seattle. Didn't stop anybody against Arizona. They continue to struggle. What I do like, however, is that that means the offense should be able to get going as they get back to the basics. They got to the back to the basics in a big, big way in this game. Derrick Henry, 35 carries. 35 carries for 182 yards and three touchdowns, six catches, 55 yards. So it wasn't even like it was Derrick Henry only on the ground. He got you six catches, 55 yards. This guy put up over 50 points in PPR. What a tremendous, tremendous performance, a tremendous bounce back out of Derrick Henry. Gives you the confidence moving forward, and it lets you know the Titans were able to get back to doing what they do best, which is feature Derrick Henry first and then play action off of that. As a result, Ryan Tannehill was much better. Now, he didn't have the huge day fantasy-wise because he had 347 yards, but he didn't have any touchdowns, not in the ground nor through the air. Did have one called back that would have been a Julio Jones touchdown on a, what I think is a bogus rule. Let me just say that, by the way. Because because it wasn't a toe tap and get out of bounds, because it was a toe that rolled into a heel, that's out of bounds, even though his toe came down first. That makes no sense. I get it if he caught the ball flat-footed and half of his foot out of bounds and half of it's inbounds. That I understand why that's out of bounds. But if his toe hits first and it's not out of bounds and it rolls into his heel, that should not be out of bounds. His toe hit first. That rule makes absolutely no sense to me. So I just wanted to mention that, go off on a little tangent about that before we move on here. However, Ryan Tannehill still had a good day through the air. Better days are ahead fantasy-wise. This is what you needed to see. You needed to see the Titans in a week get some things corrected offensively, get back to what they do best so that way we can go through the rest of the season with the fantasy expectations that we had before week one happened. Julio Jones was awesome in this game. Six catches, 128 yards, eight targets. Should have had that touchdown. What was disappointing was A.J. Brown, of course, from a fantasy perspective. Second week in a row, he only gets about 40-some yards passing. This week, he didn't have the touchdown to bail himself out. Ultimately, not worried. Still had nine targets in this game, one more than Julio Jones. He had a really bad drop that probably would have led to a really big reception. A.J. Brown is a stud. We know better days are ahead. What you like to see is he's still very much involved even after that bad drop. And Julio, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill can continue to have the fantasy value that you hope that they would have going into week one. So that course corrected. That's all you really care about with Tennessee. On the Seattle side of the ball, Wilson continues to be incredibly efficient. 22 of 31, 343 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, only 16 yards on the ground, but we know Russell Wilson can give you a little bit of on the ground of the floor, even though he's a mobile guy, but he's always going to be an efficient passer, and he was in this game. Tyler Lockett again going off. I told you guys last week, I said, listen, this is not Tyler Lockett of last year. This is not, I go off for four games and I do nothing for the rest of it and still finish as a top 10 wide receiver. He had 100 receptions. It is a 1A, 1B situation between Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And he proved it here by going back-to-back good weeks against different teams. Because last year was pretty much just Arizona, it felt like. Eight catches, 178 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets. The exact same amount of targets as DK Metcalf. Kind of similar to A.J. Brown here. D.K. Metcalf, six catches, 53 yards. That's similar to what he had last week, but last week he had the touchdown to boost him. He didn't have the touchdown this week. If anybody's panicking on D.K. Metcalf, you're crazy. If anybody's panicking on A.J. Brown, you're crazy. If you can buy low on these guys, go for it. I'm not suspecting that you would because I don't think anybody's that insane 
to want to buy to suddenly sell low on these guys after being stud wide receivers, and we know they're going to be stud wide receivers. However, there are home leagues out there where I see people panic all the time. So if you're in a league where you think somebody could be panicking, send a feeler offer. That's the beauty. That's what I do on Monday, by the way. This is going to be more for advice for fantasy football players out there. When do you look to do trades? I go down on Mondays, you know, before the Monday night game. Maybe I need something on Monday night. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm rooting against something. It doesn't matter. I'm already looking forward to the next week on Monday morning because I'm going to look at who is in a position to be panicking, who is in a position to maybe want to sell high, do these sorts of things. Who am I facing next week? I'm already looking ahead at that point. That's when you can really best evaluate before the injuries all come out about, you know, going because you go into Tuesday. Now you're talking waiver wire. Now you're talking, we're getting some updates on some injuries or a day removes before those injury reports come out. Who can I buy low on who might be in a panic situation who just lost this week or maybe two weeks in a row. In this case, heading into week three, you might have an and two team who has a guy like a, a Saquon Barkley. For instance, I talked about him being a buy low cannon on Friday who now suddenly you can get on the cheap because now he's 0-2 and had a disappointing performance out of what's supposed to be one of his stud players. That's what I do. That's what I do on Monday. And then Tuesday, I get waiting for the waiver report. Just me, but I think it works pretty well, honestly. So just kind of throw that out there as a little tip is what I do to help you guys out to evaluate your fantasy leagues. Does anything change for me from Seattle, Tennessee in this game? No, not really. Chris Carson, 13 carries, 31. Yeah, wasn't very efficient on the ground. There was a lot of passing, a lot of back and forth in this game. He still gets you to two touchdowns. Travis, he wasn't involved at all in the passing game. Travis Homer had two receptions, 14 yards on two targets, and he was playing a little bit more snap-wise in that third down role. We know Chris Carson still likes to catch the ball. I believe Carson will still be involved to that in enough capacity. It's still a high-scoring offense. I'm not moving the needle on Chris Carson whatsoever. I still like what I saw. And Travis Homer, for all the playing that he did, he still only had two targets in this game. We know he's nothing special. So I'm not worried about that moving forward. Love, love, love pretty much everybody about Tennessee and Seattle. Nothing there really changed for me in that game. So let's go to the other kind of, in a way, disappointing but entertaining. Dallas Chargers. This matchup, Dallas comes away. They win 20 to 17. They pull off the upset or, I mean, they're small road, road dogs. They're small, small road dogs. It wasn't a huge upset. What would the upset was that this game was supposed to be a 55 over under and you wind up getting 37 points. That's the upset. That's the upset from DFS. I, if you guys listen to my Saturday night show, the MD's DFS contest, we'll announce that winner again when we get back next week. But if you guys listen to that show at all, you'll know I went heavy on that game, my DFS lineup. Spoiler alert, didn't do great. So did a lot of people. <laughs> Better days are ahead as far as those team teams go. It wound up being more of a defensive slugfest than I really expected it, than anybody expected it to be. However, when you're breaking down the fantasy aspect of that, you still had a lot of strong performances. Herbert had a little bit of a rough game, but you still walk away with the 338 yards passing. Still has the passing touchdown. Had the two picks. So that was makes him make it a mediocre kind of day. One pick was just a tremendous interception by by Diggs. I mean, there was there was that wasn't a bad throw by Herbert. That was just a tremendous interception. We know Herbert's gonna be a stud. Are you a little bit disappointed by this? Yeah, but he's not the only one you're a little bit disappointed by in a game that should have been, you know, almost a 60 point game between these two teams. 
Austin Eckler gets back involved in the passing game. That's all he cared about. Nine carries, 54 yards, nine receptions, 61 yards on nine targets. Getting right back into it. The casualty of that was Jared Cook. Something I said that could potentially happen. When Austin Eckler gets more involved, it could mean less for Jared Cook. However, he still had five targets. Only three catches, 28 yards. You're not thrilled about that. But in a game that they only scored 17 points on, let's not forget, that's still a decent amount of work for a tight end. Jared Cook doesn't move for me. He's still somebody I look at as a mid-level tight end to who you can stream if need be. He's going to be in that range. This game, this disappointing game doesn't change that, especially when taking into consideration the game flow and the game script that this wound up being. Now, in Austin Eckler's case, while it wasn't a super gaudy stat line, it does go over 100 yards total from scrimmage. And, of course, if you're PPR leagues or high-point PPR leagues, you like the nine receptions. But what I really take solace out of this game is that Larry Roundtree... Joshua Kelly, who I'm Justin Jackson, whoever, doesn't matter. There wasn't a goal line back. Eckler actually saw the red zone carries in this game. So that's something kind of a note. If he's also going to get, you know, red zone work, Austin Eckler can wind up turning into a more of a workhorse than we expected him to be this season. It's, it's potentially possible, especially when you need him the most in areas to score. They're not going to take him out in those situations. Eckler could even be, could have a higher ceiling than really anyone anticipated that's very much in the realm of possibility with what we're seeing on the field as of right now keenan allen four catches 108 yards eight targets honestly kind of pedestrian for what i was expecting out of keenan allen mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner the guy who really impresses you is Mike Williams. Seven receptions, 91 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. This guy has now been phenomenal for two weeks in a row. There's clearly a rapport between him and Herbert. He's not just running the decoy deep route anymore. He's finally allowed within this new system of Josh Lombardi to run a full receiver route tree. And when you add that in with the extra protection that Justin Herbert now has with an improved offensive line, even though it's actually a little bit banged up in this game, but it's still an improved offensive line from what it was last year, even banged up. Mike Williams is now somebody that you have to consider after two weeks. I know it's only after two weeks, but it's it's there. The writing's on the wall with the eyeballs and with the statistics to back it up. He's going to be a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver, receiver three minimum from now on, meaning He's a starting wide receiver every single week. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He looks comfortable with the new offense. He's allowed to run a full receiver route tree. He's not just running nines and hoping he catches a bomb anymore. You're not dependent on that. You're getting volume. It's two weeks in a row now you've gotten double-digit targets out of Mike Williams. You have to start looking at him in that mindset. It's awesome. It's great. I Look, we've been touting him and touting him and saying that, you know, this could be the Mike Williams year. This could be the Mike Williams year. This legitimately looks like it could be the Mike Williams year. And that's what you take away from this game, sort of solidifying that. On the flip side, we have some interesting things to talk about with the Dallas Cowboys. Probably nobody was more disappointing in this game than Dak Prescott, who didn't even get your double-digit fantasy points. 
in a game that you're expecting a very good performance out of. We know there's better days ahead. Not concerned. He was really efficient. I mean, he was 23 or 27, but just 237 yards. He didn't have a touchdown. He had the pick. Better days are ahead for Dak Prescott. I'm not worried about Dak Prescott. Nobody should be worried about Dak Prescott. So we're just going to move on from that. What is really interesting about the Dallas Cowboys is the running back situation. Because if you didn't watch this game, and you don't pay attention to snap counts, you just look at the box score. If you're a Ezekiel Elliott owner, you're saying, row, row, row. While Elliott had a decent game, 16 carries, 71 yards, and a touchdown, tacked on two receptions for 26 yards on two targets. Tony Pollard had a great game. 13 carries, 109 yards, and a touchdown. Three receptions, 31 yards on three targets. Now, here's the key. Here's the key. This is where I want Ezekiel Elliott owners, do not panic. Don't sell for pennies on the dollar. Elliott still played a significant amount of more snaps than Tony Pollard did. 44 to 21. So, double the amount of snaps of Tony Pollard. This is still Ezekiel Elliott's backfield. If for no other reason, then when it comes to pass protection, which is always the Achilles heel of any running back from to getting to their ceiling, to their maximum playing time they could possibly have, Elliott is light years ahead of Tony Pollard, which is why he's always going to play ahead of him. Plus, you know, the fact that he's actually a really good running back too. You know, let's not, let's not forget that part. But he played double the amount of snaps of Tony Pollard in this game. Here's the thing. As far as efficiency goes, as far as usage goes, Pollard out there for 21 snaps, having 16 touches. Yeah, he's got a high efficiency. When he's out there, they're using him pretty much. Like if Tony Pollard's on the field, the other team's going to have to key on that because that means Tony Pollard most likely is getting the ball. That That's what we're seeing for the past two weeks. We know he's explosive. So the 13 carries for 109 yards, yeah, if you're going to get that kind of carry workload, definitely like it for decent production. I will throw this caveat in there. This was a neutral game script, meaning Dallas was not you know, pulling away from this game. They were up, but it wasn't up big, so it wasn't a situation where they needed to be taking their foot off the pedal or anything like that. It's a, basically a neutral game script. And Tony Pollard did get utilized. Now, I'm not saying go out and start him, but I am saying that if he's available in your waiver wire, we'll talk about him on, on Tuesday morning on the waiver wire part. You better believe it. Especially Rizigo Elliott owner, but even if you're not, because he could start to enter flex conversation if he's going to continue to get this kind of usage, even though he might be getting less than half the snaps in Ezekiel Elliott. But again, my main thing here is that Elliott, I'm not panicking on Elliott. Don't sell him for pennies on the dollar. Don't panic on him. If anything, you take away from this, he was efficient in this game, 4.4 yards to carry. He still got the majority of the work. He had a bounce back week, and it was a low-scoring affair. He's still on a top-scoring offense. He's still a really good running back. So if anything, stay pat with Zeke Elliott. You still have an RB1 on your hands. Don't panic about that, because I feel like some people are going to, after seeing Tony Pollard, almost split the work with him. Now, receivers. CeeDee Lamb was the guy. He was the man. Amari Cooper got banged up in this game. Now, uh, we're not really worried about him long-term. It sounds like he's going to be back next week. They didn't sound too concerned about this going into the next week. He got a little bit banged up, fell a little bit hard, came back at the game. He should be okay. Didn't have a great fantasy game. Also, one of the disappointment casualties of Dak Prescott being so disappointing. Three, Only three receptions on five targets, 24 yards. 
In the meantime, CD Lamb did come through. Eight receptions, 81 yards, nine targets. Not a big gaudy game, but still a solid game. You feel good about that, and especially given how this game unexpectedly turned. I want to add this in there, though. He had you know 34 yards on one play at the end of the half in a pretty much garbage time situation, you would say, because they're just trying to get into the end zone. Otherwise, the half is over. But you'll take it any way you can get it. With Michael Gallup out, CeeDee Lamb, and Amari Cooper, head and shoulders, the top two wide receivers, both at 60 snaps apiece, while Cedric Wilson, as we expected, is the third receiver in that group, 36. I don't know how comfortable I am ever playing a Cedric Wilson. He's a speculative you know, wide receiver four, wide receiver five, if you're just desperate for options, because this should be a higher scoring offense in most games. But this the, con- the consolidation is going to be between Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. I still don't want to own a Dallas Cowboy tight end. We're talking up Schultz and Blake Jarwin and, you know, little deep sleepers. They're still cutting each other off. Now, Schultz, two weeks in a row now, has played ahead of Blake Jarwin. I would say at this point, he has to be expected the starting tight end, even though I know Jarwin is the one who wound up with four targets this game to Schultz's two. There's just not value to be had there. There's really not. They're not in that sleeper. They're not in that streaming territory that I'm looking at when it comes to those mid-level tight end twos. Not at all. So that pretty much does it for that game. We can get into the route, the route of the Tampa Bay Atlanta game. Now for this one, the score is a little misleading. I mean, you had two pick sixes by, you know, Edwards, give him a shout out Two big pick sixes in a row at the end of the game to really put this thing on ice. 48, 25 Tom Brady walks away yet again with five passing touchdowns in this game. He's got nine touchdowns in two weeks There's nothing not to love there at all. You love every single bit of it. The point is this. You play everyone on Tampa Bay Buccaneers who's not a Tampa Bay Buccaneer running back. You play Mike Evans. You play Chris Godwin. You play Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. You start him every week, too. Four catches, 39 yards, two touchdowns on five targets. I know it's not a gaudy stat line for receptions and yards. I know O.J. Howard was a little bit more involved in this game from a snap share perspective. This is clearly Rob Gronkowski leading the way. He looks better. He's not Rob Gronkowski of old, but he looks better than he did last year. And when you add in a Gronk who looks pretty good with these weapons and no defense is going to game plan to take him away, he's going to be a touchdown threat every single week. We know with tight ends, if you score... You're in the top eight. It's 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 almost automatic. If you score a touchdown, you're at least in the top ten, probably in the top eight. If you score two, you're in the top three. Which I I know we haven't played every single game yet, but I'm sure we'll wind up coming to fruition with Gronk getting two touchdowns. Snap count wise, it's still his group. Yes, Cameron Bray had a few more snaps. Yes, OJ Howard had a few more snaps, but it was still 51. The 22 for Cameron Bray and 10 for OJ Howard. This is still Rob Gronkowski, and I don't think this is going away anytime soon. I really don't. Chris Godwin played as the top receiver as far as snaps go, but Mike Evans had the targets. Chris and I told you guys going into this game, we told you guys going into this game that they were going to look to take this opportunity against Atlanta and get Mike Evans back involved after he wasn't in the Dallas game. That's what they do. It's what Bruce Arians and Tom Brady do. On top of the fact that it's the matchup. Yes, the Falcons are a great matchup regardless, but what I mean by matchup when it comes to Mike Evans is this. There's no top corner on the opposing team to take him away. Now, 
It's not that Mike Evans isn't a good enough receiver to beat top corners in the league because he is. But when you have Chris Godwin, you have Antonio Brown, you have Rom Gronkowski, you have a quarterback of Tom Brady, you can get the ball to anybody at any time. There's no reason to test out a top corner. So that's why when, when they get in these matchups with teams that have the top ones, Mike Evans might be the one left out. That doesn't mean I'm benching him automatically because to me, he's still going to be the number one red zone target of this group by the end of the season. doesn't mean I'm benching him automatically. But it does mean that in that particular week, you have to have some expectation that there's going to be a low floor for Mike Evans because it could be more of a Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown week. In matchups like this, where the defense doesn't really have a top corner necessarily, quote unquote, and there's nobody to you know, just simply target away from, Mike Evans is going to get his. He did in this game. Five catches, 75 yards, two touchdowns off of nine targets. Excellent in this game. They made sure they got on the ball. Chris Godwin, four catches, 62 yards, gets his boost with a touchdown. Who was left out this week? Antonio Brown was left out this week. Didn't have to play as many three receiver sets in the second half, which is a big part of it. That's why his snap count was down from a week ago against Dallas when you were just scoring back and forth. Once Tampa Bay was up in this game, they controlled it. That cuts down Antonio Brown because he's only going to play on three receiver sets. It's the only time it's going to happen. He only had 28 snaps in this game, three targets, one catch, 17 yards. I know it's going to be disappointing because it's against Atlanta. But again, these are the type of matchups where you have to say to yourself, you know what? This could be a game where he gets left out, even though it's a juicy matchup on paper. But again, it doesn't mean you don't start him. I had my top 24. Now, I'm going to be wrong, of course. After you know this week, after one catch, 17 yards, not going to get top 24. But the point is this. There's so much good productivity from this Tampa Bay offense, especially through the air. I'm playing these guys every single week, no matter who they're matched up with. But just be able to tailor your expectation based on, is there a number one corner? Is there not a number one corner? And you can kind of tell from that, you know, if you feel like you have to play a guy with a safer floor, for instance, based on the matchup the Tampa Bay receivers have, you can kind of use that as your barometer. So that's what I want you guys to keep in mind as you move forward. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Outside of that, you know, there's nothing to ride home about. I still, if I can help it, do not want to play a Tampa Bay running back. I know Fournette had a decent game in this one. He did still lead the way. Uh, Ronald, thir- 31 snaps to Ronald Jones' is 26. He led in carries, 11 carries to Ronald Jones's 6. He had 11 carries to his 6, 52 yards to 27 yards. Both were technically efficient on the day. Leonard Fournette, you have a little more confidence in, not just because there's two weeks in a row now that he's out-carried Ronald Jones, but because it's two weeks in a row now, he's out-targeted Giovanni Bernard. Bernard wasn't involved much. Now, again, it was a pro game script all game long for Tampa Bay. 
But third and long, those type of situations are clearly not automatically Giovanni Bernard's. They're still letting Leonard Fournette get involved in those spots. So he has the safest floor amongst any Tampa Bay running back. So if you have to play a Tampa Bay running back, Leonard Fournette's the guy that you plug in there and hope that you just you just get just enough that you don't to- completely torpedo your week. Still have yet to see a running back score. Somebody will score eventually, but I do wonder how many touchdowns this running back unit as a whole even winds up with this season with the way Tom Brady's throwing the football to these guys all over the place. Now, next week will be interesting. They play the Rams. It's definitely going to be their toughest contest as far as defenses go. But still, the ultimate game plan is going to be Tom Brady throwing the ball in a Bruce Arian system. That's just where it's going to go. Now, on the Falcons side of the ball, we have some things to talk about. Uh, Matt Ryan, you know, all in all, I know his box score-wise doesn't look great because he had the three interceptions. Two of them want to be in pick sixes at the end of the game. I kind of marked those off. I don't really necessarily put those on Matt Ryan. You're just trying to come back. You're trying to make something happen. This is a bad Atlanta Falcons team. They just are. There's not a good team. And they're especially not good enough to take on these teams that could be playoff caliber teams. They're just not. So Matt Ryan does enough, does what you need him to do, right? I'm not playing him for fantasy perspective. I don't want to. He doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have a lot of upside, period. 300 yards, two touchdowns in this game as far as a positive on his statistics go. What's important about that? is that he's getting to the ball to the people you need him to get the ball to. Kyle Pitts, five receptions, 73 yards on six targets. Calvin Ridley, seven receptions, 63 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. That's who you need him to get the ball to. The only other fantasy factor when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons is the running game. Now, while Cordero Patterson running the football was completely inefficient, he does wind up with the rushing touchdown, which was interesting. Mike Davis, nine carries, 38 yards. We ex- Mike Davis, my RB39. I, I told you guys to put him on his bench. We were not ex- expecting a good game out of Mike Davis against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What not going to happen? I was actually surprised he even averaged over four yards a carry, frankly. I didn't think that was going to happen. But Patterson is very much involved here. That's what's interesting about this. Now, Mike Davis still got his receptions. Seven catches, seven targets, 25 yards. Cordell Patterson, of course, in the passing game, as you would expect. Much more efficient. Five receptions, 58 yards. He had a touchdown receiving. He has two touchdowns of the day. Six targets. This is not a lone man act with Mike Davis. We've seen it now. It was two negative game scripts, but in two separate weeks, we've seen Cordell Patterson be very much involved. Before you go picking up Cordell Patterson as a top handcuff to Mike Davis, like, oh, if something happens to Mike Davis, if Patterson gets all the work, well, passing-wise, he might actually have a nice floor. Before you do that, I want you to keep something in mind. If Mike Davis were to go down the entry, Wayne Gallman would then step in. This wouldn't just be Patterson's job. Wayne, I believe him and Wayne Gallman would be in a committee at that point. Now, he was still an inactive. He's still getting acclimated to the new team. And frankly, as long as Mike Davis and Cordell Patterson are both healthy, they don't necessarily need to activate Wayne Gallman just yet. But we know what Wayne Gallman's capable of. We know that when he is in spot starts, he is a productive running back and can be. And we know that he can also catch the ball as well as run the football. This would not suddenly become Patterson's job. So I don't know how much you want to go out there and pick up Cordell Patterson because I don't know how much you're ever going to want to trust him enough to actually plug and play him in your flex. Maybe in a desperate situation where you know the Falcons are playing a team like Tampa Bay that you know for sure they're going to have to come back from behind, so you're anticipating that he'll be involved enough to give you some upside. But still, you would you would be playing him for a floor. You'd be playing him just 
as a desperation plug and play as a bye week fill in. Nothing really special. So I don't know how much you want to go out and go get this guy. That's why I'm pretty sure he's not going to wind up making my waiver wire report. We'll see. I don't know exactly yet. I haven't crunched those numbers just yet, but I'm probably going to leave him off for that reason because he's not the one on one handcuff. And I don't know a situation where you're ever going to feel that great about having to play Cordell Patterson in your lineups if you're in, you know, 10, 12 man leagues, which is mostly what we base this off of in half point PPR. As far as snap count goes, you know, Calvin Ridley led the way. Kyle Pitts led the way. Kyle Pitts actually had a more significant snap count to Hayden Hurst this week than he did last week. You like that. You continue to play those two with confidence. Mike Davis, less and less confidence, though. Unless they're in pro game scripts, I don't know how much I'm going to want to play Mike Davis. He might be becoming more of an RB3 than a volume-based RB2 that he was frankly drafted to be because he just doesn't seem to have that upside and Patterson's more involved in two weeks in a row than we ever thought he would be. Now let's go to our other crazy finish of the week. The Arizona Cardinals, the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, this guy, this this game was great. This game was phenomenal for several different reasons. Loved it. Back and forth, shootout. I expected it to be a shootout. It did not disappoint whatsoever. 34-33 final score. Arizona Cardinals coming through. Kyler Murray, despite his two picks, 400 yards passing, three passing touchdowns, Adds a rushing touchdown on five carries for 31 yards. Two weeks in a row, Kyler Murray's been fantasy gold. As long as he has the legs, that'll continue to happen. This game actually really getting it done with his arm, but he's just fantasy nightmare and will continue to be. Just will continue to be. You're good there. You're solid there. What gets interesting is the the is the pass catchers. I mean, let's throw this out there. Max Williams, seven receptions, 94 yards on seven targets. Don't expect that to ever happen again. Max Williams had his best game of the year. Max Williams is not suddenly becoming a, a streaming tight end. That's that's not what's happening here. But I just thought it was really funny because that's something you don't expect to see. What is more interesting, of course, Rondale Moore getting seven receptions, going over 100 yards and a touchdown. Of course, most of it coming off of that big 77-yard grab that he had, showing off his explosibility. However, snap count-wise, playing time-wise, still at the bottom of the barrel. 28 snaps. Kirk at 38, A.J. Green at 51, Hopkins at 59, but that's neither here nor there. We know he's going to be the top guy. A.J. Green at 51. I know A.J. Green winds up with the touchdown in this game. Three catches, 44 yards on six targets. I said it last week. I'll continue to say it. He's washed. It's, It's over for A.J. Green. It's only a matter of time before he's the runt of the litter as far as snap count goes. Not size-wise, obviously. The man's huge. But as far as snap count goes, the runt of the litter. And it's Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore playing ahead of him. So for that reason, if Rondell Moore is still available on your waiver wire, go pick him up. Because while he's only getting the fourth most snaps on this team, kind of similar to what I talked about with Tony Pollard, how when he's out there on the field, he gets utilized. Two weeks in a row now, Rondale Moore, when he's out there, he's getting utilized at a high efficiency rate. Incredibly high. So my whole thing is this. Make sure, make sure you go out there, you get Rondale Moore because you're going to need him. You're going to need him. He's going to be a a potential league winner down the road for you because he's already shown his explosibility, showing how special of a talent he is. And Kyler Murray is clearly already looking for him whenever he's on the field. Kirk didn't have the 
quite the game. I mean, I had him at wide receiver 37. I wasn't expecting a huge game out of him, but he's the only one who didn't get a touchdown because Hopkins and, and AJ Green and, and you know Rondo Moore did three three catches, 65 yards, four targets. Again, played a little bit behind AJ Green. I think that will change sooner rather than later. When you look at the running back situation, Chase Edmonds continues to show you why he's the most valuable back. Not that that should be surprising to anybody at this point. Both had eight carries in this game. Once again, Chase Edmonds way more efficient with his carries, almost almost six yards a carry, while, again, Connor under coming under four. And then, of course, in the passing game, it's the Edmonds show. Five receptions, 29 yards, five targets. I really don't think it'll be long before Edmonds is out carrying Connor on a consistent basis. The only thing that might be difficult for Edmonds is that his touchdown abilities will be limited because while both these guys kind of get capped a bit by Kyler Murray, Connor's the one who's out there running those read options at the goal line with Kyler Murray. It's not Chase Edmonds, unfortunately. So I, I don't know if that's going to necessarily change. So that's why we have to kind of keep that in mind. But Edmonds is going to have a safe floor, especially in half-point PPR and full-point PPR leagues pretty much every single week. On Minnesota's side of the ball, the thing we got to talk about off the top, Dalvin Cook comes out. He has an ankle sprain. Now, he got banged up a couple times throughout this game, kept coming back in. Mike Zimmerson is dealing with an ankle sprain. Because he was able to kind of come back in again, I, even though I'm not a medical expert by any stretch of the means, I would venture a guess in saying that I don't think it's a high ankle sprain. I think it's, I think it's, and I would tend to lean towards it's more of a minor sprain. Now, because it's an ankle sprain, of course, he's going to be very, very questionable heading into week three. So Alexander Madison will make the waiver wire report. He will be a must add, especially for the Dalvin Cook owner. If we get a little bit more clarity by Tuesday, which I'm thinking we will, then we might know whether or not he's a must-add for anybody who's not a Dalvin Cook owner or not. We'll have a better idea if he's going to, you know, expect to miss that week or several weeks or maybe not a week at all. And like I said, it, it seemed like he was able to come back out. It seemed kind of minor. We'll see exactly what it winds up being, but it is a sprain, so we'll still have to monitor this and with the swelling after the fact. Uh, in the meantime, though, 22 carries, 131 yards, two two receptions, 17 yards. Maybe not as involved in the passing games you would hope for. Maybe he doesn't get in the end zone. Still a great game out of him. And again, regardless of his ankle sprain, whether he misses week three or not, I don't expect this to be a long-term injury. So I think we can take some solace in that. Kirk Cousins was efficient. I mean, 244 yards, nothing crazy, but three touchdowns in this game. And here's somebody that we, we're going to have to talk about. It's K.J. Osborne. Two weeks in a row now, this guy has been involved. Now, I know in this one, it was a 64-yard bomb to pretty much start the game. And it's still a 1A, 1B between Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. But that's two weeks in a row now where there's been room for a third wide receiver. And KJ Osborne has been pretty much right there as far as where Kirk Cousins is looking to throw the ball. Now, I still think he's a boomer bust wide receiver four, wide receiver five option. But I do think he's somebody who might wind up making the waiver wire report. So stay tuned. I'll look more into that, see if it's worth a pick or in what circumstances he's worth a pick. But the reason why I think season-long-wise, because you're not picking up just to play him week three, you don't have any buys yet. The reason why season-long-wise, I think he could actually be a legitimate pickup is because this guy is on a team that apparently has a really bad defense. They just do. They have a really bad defense. That's what's crazy about it. And that's what's a shame about it. Maybe when Anthony Barr comes back, this Minnesota team will be better. I mean, he is he is one of their best defensive players, so I'm sure that will make a difference, especially in the pass rush, which they have none without him. That that much has been abundantly clear. But as long as they have a defense that keeps continues to play like this, 
then a third receiver does become viable in the Minnesota offense because they're going to throw more than they initially would plan to do. And the play action's working, so these bombs are going to be there. So K.J. Osborne is somebody who's probably going to make my waiver wire report if this continues to happen with the Minnesota Viking defense because that's going to make the offense have room for another player outside of a Dalville Cook, a Justin Jefferson, or an Adam Thielen to be fantasy relevant. And they're not using the tight ends. Chris Herndon didn't even barely even play this game. I don't even know if he had snaps this game. Like, look at it for a second here. But, I mean, yeah, he had 12 snaps this game. He played as the third-string tight end. Tyler Conklin played away, had four targets. It's nothing. They don't utilize the tight end. So a third receiver is viable for the Minnesota Vikings. Jefferson, six catches, 65 yards, had a touchdown. He had the 10 targets. He had the more targets. You look for that. Wasn't a huge game you would hope for when they have this many points, but you're not going to complain about that. And Adam Thielen continues his touchdown ways. Six receptions, 39 yards, touchdown, seven targets. Again, 1A, 1B situation. And you're playing both of them every single week. And Adam Thielen, I guess I might wind up being wrong about you having touchdown regression, I guess. Three touchdowns in two games, pretty good rate to me. Maybe you're not going away when it comes to the red zone. Who knows? But right now, you're feeling pretty good about them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. I want to get a word from our sponsor. We'll come back on the other side. We still have more games to recap for you guys. So make sure you stay tuned. We're streaming live on social media at Show. Of course, on our YouTube channel, give that a subscribe on the MD Spanish Football Show. We'll be back right after this. The NFL is back in action, and so is winning season at MyBookie. With over $500,000 in contest prize money, winning season makes the big games better and the victories even sweeter. Head to MyBookie.ag and choose from a variety of boost contests and promotions up for grabs, highlighted by the crown jewel of winning season, the famed MyBookie Super Contest. And it only costs $10 to enter. Pick five games against the spread each week. Each win earns you a point, and each point gets you closer to the grand prize. If you missed out on week one, don't even sweat it because entries are still open, and all it takes is one solid week to get you back in the mix. Don't just take my word for it. Join now and start your winning season with MyBookie today. In order to get you started, make your first deposit at MyBookie.ag and use promo code MDFANTASY to instantly receive double your deposit. That's double your money to double your winnings with your first ever deposit using promo code MD Fantasy. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Hey, welcome back in MD Nation. You're listening and watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show on social media at BellyUpMDFF Show or on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show or you're listening to us on our pot, every favorite pod streaming app because we're available on iTunes, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker. That's our big one, actually, Spreaker. Uh, we're available everywhere. Anywhere you stream your podcast, we are available to you. Oh, don't forget, we will be on Monday night, 6 to 7.30, leading up into the Monday night game, on the Unhinged Radio Network, unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Make sure you check us out there. We'll have great content for you guys coming out. And, of course, we'll be back on Tuesday to recap the Sunday night, the Monday night, and give you the waiver wire report. But let's continue on with our Sunday afternoon recap as we had a lot to get through. Now, I will say this, and I, I meant to kick the show off with this, but I, I forgot to. I'll do it now. Week two, and I know we're still getting through the Sunday night game and we still have the Monday night game, but week two is, is going to be significantly less in points than week one. I mean, and I'm sure you guys all noticed it in your fantasy box scores. There just wasn't as many prime time 
guys, with the exception of a few, you know, Kyler Murray, Derrick Henry come to mind as the big ones. Uh, but there wasn't as many points to go around. So if you're feeling disappointed about your team, this is more my advice as to why I'm pointing this out. If you're feeling disappointed about your team, the way they performed, temper your sorrows, your sulk, your aggravation, whatever it is that you're feeling, temper it. Look around the rest of your league. A lot of teams did not perform up to their, you know, projections on, you know, whatever platform it is that you're playing. Because a lot of points were scored this week. This is one of being a much more defensively sound week. Now, maybe it was more disappointing offense and it was good defense. But that's a trend that went throughout for most of fantasy football, with the exception, of course, with a few players. And always be a few players who have great games. But again, if you're disappointed with your performances, don't don't go over the top with it. Don't make silly decisions based off of that because it wasn't just you. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, talk about disappointing performances or really what do we expect, but still disappointing nonetheless. New York Jets only putting up six points against the New England Patriots, 25, four interceptions for Zach Wilson. I'm not going to bash the guy. I don't know what he's supposed to do. <laughs> you got a New York Jets team that was down James Crowder. So down one of your veteran receivers. You knew the Patriots were going to take away Corey Davis. That's why he was outside of my top 40 receivers coming into the game. You knew they were going to take him away. You knew Mekhi Becton was down, so you knew the passers of the Patriots were going to get there all day, every day, and boy, did they. I don't know what Zach Wilson was supposed to do here. The Jets are overmatched, and you know what? I think they're going to be competing with Houston and with Jacksonville with that top pick for that top pick of the draft next year. Now, maybe that's a blessing in disguise because you already have your quarterback in the future, so you won't have to do that. So you can trade away for you know a big, big surplus of picks, or you can wind up taking you know best player available and getting a cornerstone somewhere else. But this is going to be a bad team for a lot of the year. That doesn't mean there's not going to be fantasy value. Now, you're not excited about anything that came out of this, and I like I said, hopefully you guys listened to me and benched Corey Davis. Having said that, there's things to look for for the future, like Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman. Finally, seven snaps in this game. That was it. He was done. Toast McGoats. It was all Ty Johnson. It was all Michael Carter. And Michael Carter led the way in targets, and they ran about the same amount of routes. In fact, Michael Carter ran one more route than Ty Johnson did. So you like that because Michael Carter is going to be the guy eventually. I do think he's going to have fantasy value when he gets to be the guy. And right now, after week two, it was a split down the middle. And I do think that continues. Eventually, I think Michael Carter will. He's not going to take this job in a workhorse level. Don't get me twisted. But I do think he'll take this job in the part where it's him 55 to 60% of the time with Ty Johnson 45 to 40% of the time from a carry to reception stand base. When that happens, you'll have a decent guy on your hands. If you drafted him, if you have him on your team, do not drop him. That's the overall number one lesson that I can give you as far as that goes. Corey Davis, don't drop him either. He'll still be the number one receiver. Don't worry. The one thing I'm looking at here is Braxton Berrios. For the second week in a row, gets seven receptions. He had 73 yards in this game. He was really the only bright spot of the Jets' offense. Had 11 targets. The reason I'm watching that is because Jameson Crowder should be back eventually. That will be Crowder's role. And even though Adam Gase was known for targeting the slot receiver over and over and over again, it looks like they're going to continue that in New York under the new coaching regime. And the slot receiver is going to be that safety blanket. First of all, it makes some sense. 
Zach Wilson can't hold on the ball too long because he's not going to have any time to do so. So it's going to be a little bit more checkdowns, a little bit more over the middle. Crowder is that veteran safety blanket. That's why they wanted him back. Yes, they asked him to take a pay cut, but they still wanted him back. They still were going to offer him a good role. Elijah Moore is relegated to the outside. He's not playing the slot. It's not what, that's not what he's doing. I don't think that changes when Barrios is out of the lineup and James Crowder comes in. I don't think that changes at all. So Crowder, when he comes back, I think might be looking at a hefty target share. And in full point PPR leagues is somebody that I think you can th- talk about playing as a wide receiver three in your lineup. Even in half point PPR leagues is too. So keep that in mind. I think there's a serious role here based on what we've seen the last two weeks, potentially for a Jamison Crowder. Other than that, I mean, Denzel Mims, even though he had the one touchdown for 40 yards last week, he, he was a healthy scratch this game. So he's out of the loop. It's going to be Elijah Moore, James Crowder, Corey Davis moving forward as far as the Jets go. And, of course, that'll be matchup based because it's just teams just going to have a low floor if they're playing against a good defense like the New England Patriots. On the Patriots side, I was actually disappointed with Damian Harris. Now, from a fantasy perspective, you know, he didn't kill you. 16 carries, 62 yards. That's fine. Well, you know, a little less than four yards of carry. You're expecting maybe better efficiency against the New York Jets. He gets the touchdown. You're happy about that. But this should have been a bigger game. I mean, they dominated this game from start to finish. For him to not even get 20 carries in this game, for him not to get 100 yards against the Jets in this game, I had me a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I had him as a top-end RB2. That's not going to put up top-end RB2 numbers. To top it all off, we saw James White get a red zone carry and get a touchdown. That was bizarre. And be the lead receiver six catches 45 yards on six targets tied with Jacoby Myers for the most targets even though Janu Smith was limited as far as his snap count goes because of the hip injury that he sustained during practice throughout the week one walk away he was still out there two five targets four receptions 28 yards he was still ahead of Hunter Henry as far as the target share goes even though Henry had the bigger gain there so he had the more yards at the end of the day I still believe Smith is somebody you can stream on a consistent basis. The Patriots aren't going to dominate games like they did against the Jets today in that fashion where there's no pressure on them whatsoever. So I think better days are ahead for Janu Smith. I think Jacoby Myers showed you that, you know, full point BPR, still a wide receiver four, wide receiver five type of considering that area. Him and Nelson Aguilar playing quite a bit of the time. There's not going to be that much exciting about the Patriots. Damon Harris continues to be a guy who's a must-start in your lineup. And everybody else is kind of a streaming option. Mac Jones, he didn't have to do a lot in this game, didn't do a lot in this game. 22 of 30, only 186 yards, didn't have a touchdown, didn't have an interception. Just, he didn't have to do much in this game. So there's not a lot you want to take out offensively other than the guys who were involved to continue to be involved. James White is somebody in PPR leagues I think should be rostered and probably will make the waiver wire report in our next show. So let's move on to a game that's a little bit more exciting, shall we? Let's talk about Cleveland and Houston. Believe it or not, this game was a little bit more exciting. Houston, first of all. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're... 
Team ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. They actually played Cleveland pretty tough in this game. They were never really blown out of it. Cleveland never really dominated this game the way we thought they should. Uh, and they were pesky. They were tough. Now, Tyrod Taylor, he walks away with a hamstring injury. They're on a short week against Carolina. While there were some reports saying that he's not necessarily out, being that he wasn't able to come back in that game and it's a short week, I have a hard time imagining that it's not going to be Davis Mills out there. I have a really hard time imagining it's not going to be Davis Mills out there. So I would anticipate it being Davis Mills. It doesn't change anything for me when it comes to Brandon Cooks because there's only one guy to still target, but I would lower my ceiling expectation. And I mean, outside of Brandon Cooks, though, I don't know. Like I said, I ultimately don't know if it changes because I'm not touching anybody on the Houston Texans. Mark Ingram led the way again on carries, 14 carries for 41 yards, less than three yards of carry in this game. David Johnson led the way on snaps because they were trailing most of this game. And that's what we expected. David Johnson has the passing down roll. And for that passing down roll, you know what he got? He got two targets for two receptions and 22 yards. Look, if you picked up Mark Ingram last week because he had 26 carries and he made my waiver wire report, you picked him up as a potential plug and fill in where if the right matchup comes along, you might be able to plug in Mark Ingram if you need to play somebody who has touchdown capability and will, might get a lot of carries because that's just any running back who can get that many carries has some fantasy value. This wasn't the matchup you were going to play Mark Ingram. So if you pick that Mark Ingram, I'm not suddenly going to turn tell you today to drop him. You can drop him if you need to drop him to pick up somebody more valuable, of course, but he's not a must drop for me. That's why I'm not hitting the dump button on him because you picked him up. You weren't picking him up with the intention of playing him against the Cleveland Browns. At least I hope you weren't. So I don't really take anything out of that. Fantasy-wise, ultimately, it's Brandon Cooks. Nine receptions, 78 yards, 14 targets. He had a touchdown in this game. I don't care about anything else when it comes to Houston. Now, when we go to Cleveland, different ball game. Uh, 11 carries, 95 yards for Nick Chubb. He had the touchdown. You know, incredibly efficient. You're probably, if you're a Nick Chubb owner, especially if you played him in DFS, like, wink, wink, I did, you're a little pissed off to see that he had two less carries than Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt just started off that game with, like, five carries and just kind of started off that game hot, and it kind of threw everything else that you were expecting to happen out of whack. Now, Nick Chubb was still the lead fantasy guy on the day, and he still played a significant more snaps than Kareem Hunt did. So it's not like this was an even 50-50 committee, even though the touches might say otherwise. Uh, but look, Nick Chubb still gave you the fantasy day you were hoping for one catch, three yards and one target. You know, he's not gonna be involved there, but Kareem Hunt only had one reception for one carry, two targets, or I'm sorry, one reception, two yards. When they play against teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, you see the stark difference there. I'm not worried about that. Hunt, 13 carries, 51 yards, way less efficient than Nick Chubb was. Doesn't find the end zone. So if you played him in fantasy and I would have probably played him if I had him as well. A uh, bit disappointed, obviously, but usage-wise, he still continues to be that high-end RB3, low-end RB2 that you're going to play in that flex role more times than not as the season carries on. 
So ultimately, nothing really changes for me here. Because that's the big fantasy for the Cleveland Browns, of course. Now, Jarvis Landry goes down, unfortunately. And being that he didn't come back into the game and went down after two snaps, there's reason to believe that week three could very much be in question. We do not know when OBJ is going to come back. We do not know that's going to be any time soon, unfortunately. So in the midst of that, Donovan Peoples-Jones was actually the number one receiver as far as playing time goes. Last week, remember, Rashard Higgins only had four snaps, and Anthony Swartz played way ahead of him. That's why Anthony Swartz became the, you know, the pickup that he was, like the sneaky little pickup, especially in deeper leagues. He was kind of touted as a sleeper kind of guy. Well, Higgins wound up playing ahead of him. Now, to be fair, Swartz was a little bit banged up coming into this game. In fact, it was a last-second thing that he even got to play at all. There was a possibility he was going to be inactive. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. From an actual target share standpoint, nobody was relevant, but they also didn't need to throw the ball in this game. I mean, Baker Mayfield had, you know, 21 pass attempts the whole game. This is what this team's going to do. When they're in game scripts like this, they're going to run and they're just going to play defense and they're going to get away with the win. And that's going to be it. There's not going to be a lot of volume in the passing game. So the only time you can stream a Baker Mayfield, want to play a wide receiver is when they're going to be in games where you know that they're going to have to go back and forth a little bit more than this and not be able to control in the same way team that's pretty much more equal that's all that's it Jarvis Landry will see OBJ will see if one of them comes back and they're the clear-cut number one receiver then they will be at least a wide receiver three and a high-end one probably at that that you're probably plugging and playing in your starting lineup if not Peoples Jones is the guy who I might talk about on the waiver wire report but there's no Cleveland wide receiver even in their absence that I necessarily want to go out and target and have any confidence in playing because again this team is just built around the running game. Again, the tight ends, nothing you want to ride home about. I heard, heard all week long how Austin Hooper was a streamer guy. Five catches, 40 yards, five targets. You don't necessarily hate the workload, but then you look at Harrison Bryant, who had four targets. Look at David Njoku, who had three. Again, this is a three-way tight end committee. I'm not touching three-way tight end committees. I don't even want to touch most one-man tight end committees at that. So let's move into the Cincinnati-Chicago game. And Cincinnati came back in the fourth quarter, really made this a game. But the big story, of course, Andy Dalton goes down with a knee injury. It was a non-contact knee injury. Now, they came out pretty quickly and said that they do not think that he suffered an ACL. However, this could be the uh, this could and should be the end for Andy Dalton. I would imagine it would be. Which means, if it is, if it is, Justin Field time has started. That means I like Darnell Mooney. Allen Robinson's ceiling raises a bit more. David Montgomery's ceiling raises a bit more. This whole offense will put up more points on a more consistent basis with Justin Fields. And I don't see why it wouldn't be. I think he'll definitely be out for next week. And once he's out one week, I don't see any reason why the Bears would go back to Andy Dalton after this week. And I don't. It, there's no way Andy Dalton plays in week three. So I believe this is the beginning of the Justin Fields era. So that's the good news there. I do want to give a shout out. I got a question on the YouTube channel on the NBC Football Show. Zachariah says he's got a question for me. He wants to ask, should I drop Rager or Algalore for any of these players? KJ Osborne, Cordell Patterson, or Rondale Moore? Uh, I would be fine with dropping Rager. Nelson Aguilar still played a significant amount because Mac Jones is starting quarterback and, not, and it's not Cam Newton. 
Nelson Aguilar is still going to have some upside, I think, around around the level of a KJ Osborne in particular. But I would definitely drop Jalen Rager for Rondale Moore probably immediately. Uh, Rager is going to be the number two behind Devonta Smith all year long. I still think he's inefficient as a route runner. Eagles are not going to be as high scoring, not as up-tempo of a team as the Arizona Cardinals. Rondale Moore is just a more special talent. And the second they realize A.J. Green is just ride pine, Rondell Moore is going to be a thing. So I would definitely drop Rager there for Rondell Moore. I'd probably hold off on dropping Nelson Aguilar. But thank you for your question there, Zachariah. Getting back to the Cincinnati-Chicago game. So Justin Fields takes over. And yes, I know it's a disappointing performance for Allen Robinson. But look, Robinson and Mooney, because now Mooney actually will become a thing for me now. He was a sleeper on everybody else's board. I kept saying, look, until Justin Fields actually plays, I have zero interest in Darnell Mooney. He is less than 50% owned. I can already tell you that. I can already tell you he'll be on the waiver report as a result of that. He actually ran more routes in this game than Allen Robinson did and had double the amount of targets, eight targets. So better days are ahead fantasy-wise for both of these receivers. And I believe for the running backs, too. I believe for the running backs, too. David Montgomery, 20 carries in this game, 61 yards. You like to see that. The efficiency should get better. I have to say this, too. Cincinnati Bengals, they held Dalvin Cook in check. They, had, they held David Montgomery in check. They not may may not be the juicy matchup we thought they would be for running backs this season. So kind of keep that in mind there when you're looking at the Cincinnati Bengals there uh, on on your play sheet. Like, oh, my running backs up against them. It's two weeks in a row now. They've held running backs to be very inefficient. Uh, so something to kind of keep your eye on moving forward. But Montgomery still gets the workload you're looking for. He got the 20 carries. He got the three targets. Damian Williams, or I'm sorry, he got the three receptions on four targets. While Damian Williams only had three targets. Two receptions, one up with negative two yards. Williams is still going to be involved, still going to be a thing. But now the efficiency of David Montgomery, I expect to increase. And I expect the ceiling to go up with Justin Fields now quarterback because that entire offensive ceiling goes up. So while he had a disappointing performance out of the Bears players this week, better days I think are definitely ahead as the Justin Fields era begins. Oh, and by the way, Justin Fields is probably going to be, if not the number one pickup, one of our number one pickups coming up this week. We'll talk about him in Tuesday morning's show. On the flip side, Joe Burrow got off to a very slow start, three interceptions, comes back in the second half, and then gets you the fantasy relevancy that you were looking for out of your key guys, like Jamar Chase. While he only had four targets, two receptions, 54 yards, he comes away with the big 42-yard touchdown. And while I say, like, well, Makes you a little bit uneasy, that stat line. Keep in mind, he still had the most snaps. Yes, it was by one. Still ran the most targets. Yes, it was by one. But it's a three-way receiver tree here. You're getting you're getting Jamar Chase. You're getting T. Higgins. You're getting Tyler Boyd. They're all getting involved. This, this game happened to be more targeted to T. Higgins, more targeted to Tyler Boyd. But Jamar Chase still gets you the touchdown. He's off to a great rookie campaign after last week and now this week. T. Higgins has a nice day for you got banged up. Luckily, he came back in. You have to worry about that. Six catches, 60 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. And Tyler Boyd had a Tyler Boyd stat line. Seven receptions for 73 yards on nine targets. A PPR benefactor. That's going to be his role. He's always going to be ranked as our number three receiver behind Higgins, behind Jamar Chase because he just doesn't have the touchdown upside that those two have. Doesn't have the big play upside that those two have. But he's not going to be a wide receiver four, or at least he's not going to be a low-end wide receiver four. He's not going to be a guy that you're you know, just an afterthought on. He's going to be involved in this team and an offense that I expect more times than not to be more high volume than 30 pass attempts. So I like Tyler Boyd still as a value. I'm not moving off of him. 
He just doesn't have as much upside as the other guys. Joe Mixon didn't have an efficient day, but 20 carries, 69 yards. Nobody else had another carry. Just had two targets, one reception, two, uh, and two yards. You want to see get a more target, especially in a game where they were having to come back from behind. But you will take the 21 touches for Joe Mixon. You will take the workhorse continues. Better days you know are ahead. So that's why you're not concerned about Mixon in any capacity moving forward. Don't sound low because he had one bad game. I hope you wouldn't give him the workload. Now, when we go to the Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins, I'm not going to talk about a lot here because there's not a lot here to talk about. Uh, You know, Josh Allen, I had him as a bus candidate. Now, he was a bus candidate for the wrong reasons because I didn't have him a bus candidate because I thought that the you know, the Bills would blow away the Dolphins to the point where Josh Allen wouldn't need to do anything and therefore not have a good fantasy day. I did it because I expected the Dolphins defense to play well against a one-dimensional offense. But when Tua Tagovailoa went down in the first drive of this game, uh, that pretty much settled everything, where the Bills didn't have to do much. Kobe Brissett comes in, wasn't good, 24-40, 169 during interception. And there was just nothing offensively the, the Dolphins could do. Just nothing. So once that became clear, Allen winds up being a fantasy bust because there was no need for him to do much. Uh, two passing touchdowns, 179 yards. He had 35 yards on the ground. The story, of course, for Buffalo is the running backs who with a thunk coming through. Devin Singletary, 13 carries, 82 yards, a touchdown, had a big 46-yarder in this game. And Zach Moss falling into the end zone twice. Now, Zach Moss falling in the end zone twice was more towards garbage time. Devin Singletary played ahead of him. And last week, he was, they say he was due to injury. Maybe he wasn't quite in shape yet. But in all intents and purposes, was a healthy scratch a week ago. And Devin Singletary in this one, 43 snaps to Zach Moss's 18. I, I mean, that's two weeks in a row now where it looks like Singletary is the lead guy and has looked good by the way has scored and has been efficient ultimately this doesn't change my value assessment on a Devin Singletary on a Zach Moss there's still ultimately guys who are potential RB3s in any given matchup now the nod of course will go to Singletary after he's outplayed Zach Moss two weeks in a row but they're both just RB3s and an offense that throws the ball first where the running backs are an afterthought they just happened to be scoring touchdowns the first two weeks. That could easily, quickly change. Easily, quickly change. I don't expect them to be in too many games where they're going to win 35 to nothing, especially against what should be good teams, barring, you know, catastrophic injuries like we saw. Now, for Tua's hip, or I'm sorry, Tua's ribs, it nothing was broken. That's the good news. Just in a lot of pain, probably going to have some bruised ribs. He's definitely, it's, it's a injury where thankfully he's not automatically out next week. It's definitely not going to be a long-term injury, but he could be out next week. So we'll have to keep that in mind. The reason that's important is because with him out, you can't take anything out of this Dolphins performance, especially offensively. I mean, it was putrid. Yeah. Miles Gaskin had five carries. Ahmed had six. Malcolm Brown had five. So they all three of them had carries in this game. Brown uh, Gaskin, again, being the most efficient runner for 25 yards and having five yards of carry. And then he had four receptions, 21 yards on five targets and was the only running back who was really involved in the passing game. That, of course, was disappointing. Jalen Waddell, six receptions, 48 yards on eight targets. Devontae Parker had nine targets, five receptions, 42 yards. 
better days are ahead for this entire Dolphin team if two is playing, obviously. So you can't play a single Dolphin, period, if it's Jacoby Brissett's going to be the quarterback. Can't do it. Can't do it. Especially if they're going to play against a decent defense. So just kind of keep that in mind. But if two is back, Waddle and Parker, because Will Fuller may be out, we don't know how long, out indefinitely as of now, so it could be quite a while. We're not really sure what the situation's going on with Will Fuller. The targets will be consolidated in a 1A1B-like situation. Mike Isicki gets more involved in this game. Six targets, three catches, 41 yards. You're hesitant to take anything out of that because, again, it wasn't two at the quarterback position. I will say this, however, unlike last week, he did play far more snaps. He had 47 snaps in this game. Adam Shaheen, Durham Smith, uh, Smythe, they both had 21 apiece. He played actually as the lead tight end this game, other like unlike last week where he did not. Now, I don't know if it's because of the game script where they were down from behind, so therefore Mike Kosicki played because they went their pass catchers out in the field, where if they're in neutral game scripts like they were a week ago, they're playing the other guys more because they block better. Either way, Mike Kosicki still a very low-end tight end too, to me. Not somebody I'm picking up. Again, Dolphins, Brissett's playing, not playing, and a single Dolphin in this one. Stephon Diggs, not the big fantasy day you're hoping for out of him on a week-to-week basis. Four catches, 60 yards, eight targets, does get the touchdown to boost you. This Bills offense is going to explode soon. They just they had two tough matchups in a row. You had the Steelers defense, the Dolphins is still a good defense, and in this game, script kind of hindered them as well. Not worried about that. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders played as the number two receiver as far as snap count goes, unlike last week where it was a Cole Beasley show. But those three, clearly ahead of Gabriel Davis, who was not involved at all in this game, especially not from a production standpoint. So just not a lot to take away from this game other than better days are ahead and hopefully two is okay. So then when we go to the Philadelphia Eagles in this matchup, 17-11 against San Francisco 49ers on the road. 49ers get the win. An ugly, ugly defensive game. Now, here's a kicker for you. Jalen Hurts in a tough matchup against a tough defense in a game where they only scored 11 points, still put up almost 22 fantasy points, which you will take that more times than not out of your quarterback position. 22 fantasy points is nothing nothing to sneeze at. Now, passing-wise, was impressive, only 190 yards passing, but he didn't have any picks. Didn't have any passing touchdowns either, but he does get you the 10 carries for 82 yards and a touchdown. Gets you the 14 points on the ground. That's what Jalen Hurts can do. That's why no matter what the matchup is, this guy has a safe floor and more more times than not will finish as a QB 10, even if they're up against a tough team. So that's what you that's what you liked to see out of this game. Everything else, like I said, it was just a defensive matchup. It's hard to take anything out of it. Miles Sanders, 13 carries, 55 yards, was at least efficient with the carries that he had, but it's not a game where you expect a big Miles Sanders type of week. Kenneth Gainwell still operated in front of him as the passing down back. Two receptions, 18 yards on three targets. Sanders had two targets. He had a reception for four yards. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell is somebody who was on the waiver wire report last week. I suspect he probably didn't go over 50%. So I suspect he might be on the waiver wire report again for me this week. We will have to wait and see. But I will say this. If you're the Miles Sanders owner and Kenneth Gainwell is available, you better have Kenneth Gainwell on your roster. That is a must for you. I mean, Gainwell, to me, is somebody who's going to be a nice stash play for anybody in 12-man leagues. But if you have Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell is available to you, you have to make sure you get him. Because when Sanders goes down, this is going to be... Now, yes, Boston Scott will probably be involved to some degree, but Kenneth Gainwell looks 
like Miles Sanders out there. That's what's crazy to me. He looks almost identical to what a Miles Sanders is talent-wise, athletic-wise, what he brings to the table. I think this is a one-for-one. I really do. Now, as far as snap count goes, Sanders led the way, 39. KKW 19. He's still very much the backup, but I do think he is the bona fide handcuff and will be involved. Here's some of the Eagles that was kind of disappointing that I think we do have to pay attention to. Dallas Goddard, I want him to be a fantasy tight end thing. He should be. Zach Ertz won't go away. Uh, they they pretty much split the carry, uh, split the snaps. Excuse me. It was it was 38 to 37. One snap in favor of Goddard, but Zach Ertz ran two more routes. They both had two targets in this matchup. Look, while Ertz had one catch or six yards on his two targets, and Goddard at least had 24 yards on his two receptions, unfortunately, this is going to keep Goddard from being a what should be a weekly top 12 tight end. It's going to keep him from being that. And it's not unless Ertz gets hurt. I don't think this is something that's going to go away. I think they're going to continue just beating a tight end split committee. So it's going to be difficult to play them. It's going to have to be, you're going to have to view him more as a streaming tight end where you can play him in plus matchups, but he's not a bona fide week in, week out top 12 starter in my book. He's not going to be. Unfortunately, Zach Ertz is still just getting too much of the work. Uh, so something to kind of keep your eye on there. As far as the wide receivers go, though, I know Watkins comes away with 100 yards because he had the big 91-yard reception. But Devonta Smith, seven targets in this game. Yes, you're disappointed by the two receptions, 16 yards. Yes, I'm disappointed because I had him in my top 24 because I thought, you know, playing against Josh Norman and these backup corners, the 49ers, to be able to take advantage of some of that. It was, again, just a boggle of a game for defense. But Eight targets last week, seven targets this week. You have to like that. He's going to be consistently involved. Hertz is looking for him in every situation. So more times than not, I'm going to feel good about having Devonta Smith in my starting lineup. That's where I feel okay with this. As we move to the other side of the ball, go to San Francisco. Uh, so I'll start with this because we had one of many headaches that we were looking to get sorted out. I'll start with the wide receiver situation. So Brandon Ayuk does get his starting job back according to the snap count. <laughs> according to the snap count. Uh, he had 38 snaps. Trent Sherfield had 24. He was played very much in front of him. Now, it only resulted in two targets. So I don't know that you can play Ayuk with any confidence next week. They play Green Bay next week. Uh, Ayuk's the starter he and being where he plays on the field, being he plays the X wide receiver, not Debo, he'll probably see Alexander more. So I can't see how you're going to be confident at all playing Ayuk next week. However, the fact that he did snap count wise get his starting job back, it should solidify any fears you had about rostering Brian Ayuk. I do believe better days are ahead. I do believe in the talent. I do think this offense will have better days ahead in general, too, scoring point wise. So you're okay there. Debo had a nice game and what was otherwise an offensive snooze fest. Six receptions, 93 yards on eight targets in this ball game. Did get a little bit banged up in the game, so we're going to have to keep our eyes on the practice report. Not overly concerned at the moment, though. I think we're going to be okay, but we will keep you up to date on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. Eli Elijah Mitchell, I guess he gets a little bit banged up. However, he was able to come back in after the shoulder injury. This, of course, was the second question. What's going to happen with the backfield? If you spend... A good amount of your fab or your number one waiver priority on Elijah Mitchell. I think you have to ultimately feel good. While he didn't have a great game, 42 yards, and wasn't involved at all in the passing game because Jamichael Hasty played as the third down back because he had five targets and four receptions, 21 yards, which 
still kind of blows my mind a little bit because Elijah Mitchell does have a good passing down skill set. He only had two receptions for 11 yards and two targets. You love the fact that he came away with 17 carries. You love the fact that he played as the dominant back. And until he banged up his shoulder on what was initially called a touchdown run and then eventually was ultimately ruled down just short of the goal line. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Trey Sermon didn't have a single carry until that point. And then Trey Sermon gets a carry. And he gets one carry for eight yards, fumbles, and gets a concussion. And now he's in the concussion protocol, which means he's probably not going to practice too much this week. And as we all know, is what Shanahan was saying, if you're not practicing much, you're not practicing hard, he's not going to have a chance to play. Because they talked about how he practiced much harder this week, but still clearly, even though he was activated for depth reasons, was not part of the game plan. I think this is the confirmation we need to know exactly what's going to happen moving forward, which is now going to unfortunately make me hit this button. Prepare to be flushed. There's no way around it. I mean, look, here's the caveat I'll say as far as dumping Trey Sermon. Only do it if you have to do it. It's not one of those guys that I'm just like, I'm actively looking to dump you for anything that has potential down the road. This is still the 49ers backfield. Hasty got hurt. You saw Elijah Mitchell get banged up. There's still value to be had there with Trey Sermon. So only do it if you have to do it. But you can do it if you need to do it. Because that pretty much solidified that this is Elijah Mitchell's backfield and Trey Sermon still has a ways to go before he's actually going to be involved in any significant way. And after this performance or after this situation, it ain't going to be in week three. That's that much I can guarantee you there. So keep that in mind. I want to get one more word in from our sponsor, and then we'll wrap up the rest of the games. We had the recap for you from week two on Sunday afternoon. So everybody, please stay tuned right after this message from our sponsor. Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless. We swap first round picks. Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers' front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com. For 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. 
all with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Welcome back, MD Nation. You are listening and watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show on social media at Show on YouTube, the MD's Fantasy Football Show channel. Please subscribe. Of course, you can always catch us on your favorite pod streaming app. We're available on iTunes, iHeart, Spreaker, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. Wherever you like to stream podcasts, we're available to you. And make sure you check us out tomorrow night, 6 to 7.30 p.m. Monday night leading up into the Monday night game on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. We are recapping all of the Sunday afternoon games here tonight, going through some injury updates, what we're going to have to watch for, some analysis, how we treat this moving forward, potential buy low, sell high candidates, all that good stuff. We lead back into it. We're going to wrap it up with the last four games to talk about and start kicking it off here, coming out of the break with the Rams and the Indianapolis Colts. First of all, i got to say, the Colts, man, they really drew a tough straw. They got Seahawks, and even though they're both games at home, they had Seattle at home, had Rams at home, two very good teams to draw there. Uh, but they do lose this one again, and they might have lost more than that. Carson Wentz hurts his ankle. Very much could be a re-aggravation of a surgically repaired ankle, which he had a quick recovery time on and could have been a hell of a lot longer. So it's really going to be interesting to see moving into next week what happens. And you were you had some hope out of this game. I mean, Carson Wentz, 247, a touchdown and interception. But with him at the helm, Michael Pittman finally came back to life. It's like the Colts finally remembered, oh, wait, no. We know who the number one receiver is. That's right. It's not Zach Pascal. It's Michael Pittman. It's our second-year wide receiver guy who's supposed to be up and coming. Supposed to be our future number one. Eight receptions, 123 yards on 12 targets in this game. Now, Pascal still winds up being the one who comes away with the touchdown, of course. There was no Paris Campbell in this game, so some targets, of course, in that stamp packed it, you know, consolidated. But you liked what you saw to Michael Pittman. It was more of the performance you were expecting him to be more of a target hog, especially with no T.Y. Hilton out there for this team to be the lead number one receiver, especially target share wise. Now, him and Zach Pascal, they split the snaps basically. Uh, Pittman ran one more route, but he had way more targets. Love it, love it, love it for Michael Pittman until Carson Wentz gets hurt. Now, with Carson Wentz out, Jacob Easton's starting quarterback. Huh. I'm not playing a Colts wide receiver, period, no matter what this situation is. And even Jonathan Taylor, while I feel like you probably have to have him in your lineup, and of course the offense will be you know, game plan probably around him being the main offensive threat, you're going to have to lower your ceiling expectations for him heading into any given week because not only will he be the offense, but he'll be the offense every one game plans to take away from the defensive side of the standpoint because there's going to be no threat with Jacob Easton at the starting quarterback there's just going to be none. So you're going to have to lower your expectations from Jonathan Taylor's standpoint too, even though you probably still play him in your lineups. But that's the thing. Easton goes down. I mean, this Colts offense goes down the tubes. This whole Colts team goes down the tubes. If Jacob Easton has to be the starting quarterback, but Carson Wentz hurt, unfortunately. So that's going to be the big key. Is Carson Wentz out? Is he out? How long? That injury is going to dictate quite a bit for this team moving forward. In the meantime, Taylor, while he did dominate uh, the carry workload, Naeem Hines, from a touch standpoint, wasn't very involved. Still only 30 to 25 snaps as far as that split is. And Marlon Mack got a little bit involved in this game as well. So 
kind of keeping my eye on that rotation as far as also being a factor in limiting Jonathan Taylor's ability. Outside of that, outside of that, I would also have, we also have to point out the Rams on their side of the ball. Uh, do you think Stafford and Cooper Cup have a relationship? Do you think they do? Wow, two weeks in a row for Cooper Cup, just going absolutely bananas. Nine receptions, 163 yards, two touchdowns, 11 targets. Look, if you have Robert Woods and you've last two weeks in a row, you've had to sit back and watch Cooper Cup go crazy while Robert Woods has these mediocre fantasy days. Listen, don't worry. Don't worry. Better days are ahead for Robert Woods. Both of these matchups, just they just favored Cooper Cup. It's just kind of how the way they worked out. Playing against the Bears, the better matchup was Cup, where he plays on the field against the Bears secondary. The better matchup here against the Colts was Cooper Cup, because with no Xavier Rhodes, Rocky Sin winds up playing against Robert Woods most of this game. Cooper Cup's the one who has the, ma- the mismatch. It's just kind of how it worked out. Remember, week one, Tyler Lockett, that's the same role he plays. He had the big game. Not worried about it. Robert Woods still had nine targets in this game, even though it was only for five receptions and 64 yards. I understand that you're disappointed, especially when you're watching Cooper Cup go you know, crazy the way he is, but don't be too disappointed. Don't sell off on Robert Woods. Don't be like, oh, this is now Cooper Cup is the number one receiver and Robert Woods is the number two and I'm screwed because I drafted Robert Woods around the same territory or probably ahead because ADP-wise, he was going ahead of Cooper Cup in most drafts. I'm not worried about it. The snap count was pretty much the same. I still view this as a 1A, 1B. It's just sometimes you're going to have a week where it's one receiver over the other. But Robert Woods here only had one less route run, one less snap than Cooper Cup. He's still out there all the time. I'm not worried about it. Better days are ahead. Don't panic on him. Now, Rams had their own injury issues. Terrell Henderson, he comes away with a rib injury. Unlike, uh, you know, unlike what we had with Tua, where we found out pretty quickly, you know, that it wasn't a break. We haven't found that out yet about Daryl Henderson. Uh, he, we just know he had a rib injury. He didn't come back into the game. Before that, he was having a nice game. He had 13 carries, 53 yards. He had a, a rushing touchdown. He was he was getting all the work. He was the workhorse back. It wasn't a committee with Sony Michelle. He had three three receptions, 29 yards, and five targets. Still finished the day as the third most targeted player, even though he only played like half the game. Michelle did come in as expected. Once Henderson was out, was efficient, 10 carries, 46 yards. He'll be a must pick up if Daryl Henderson's going to miss any time. We just don't have any information on that rib injury yet as far as what the significance of it is. So just kind of keep your eyes peeled. It'd be unfortunate because Daryl Henderson was off to a nice start. But we'll keep you up to date on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. Stafford himself was good in this game. Uh, while it was 27-24, it just wasn't a high-scoring game back and forth type of game, 270 yards, two touchdowns. He continues to be a guy who's going to be around the QB 12 territory. I know Higby was disappointing. One reception, eight yards. He still dominates, of course, in the snap count, 59 to Johnny Mundit, who had three as far as snap count goes. Tyler Higby's going to have better fantasy days ahead, too. I still believe he's going to finish as a top 10 tight end by the time the year is out. Let's move on to the Steelers and the Raiders. So I got to give the Raiders some credit here. I bashed them all offseason, call them a crappy team. If I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, in my heart of hearts, I still don't think this is a very good team. I still think this is going to be a non-playoff sub-500 team. But I got to give credit where credit is due because these guys just beat two top AFC North opponents, two guys 
who should be two teams that should be in the playoffs, competing for the playoffs, two very good teams who both should be better. They beat them both. Beat the Ravens, beat the Steelers this week. This this one being on the road against the Steelers, who just came off of a big win against the Buffalo Bills, by the way. So I got to give credit where credit is due. First and foremost, what I will say is that that defense of the Raiders might be better than I thought. Well, I don't think the team is necessarily going to wind up being better than I thought. I think I do think the defense is better than I thought. I don't think they're the, you know, lick your chops, salvating matchup for your players like they were a season ago or like I thought they would be this year, especially against the run. I mean, I know we've, we've marked down that Steelers have their offensive line woes here, but whew, Najee Harris, 10 carries, 38 yards, only 3.8 yards a carry. Now, Najee saves you fantasy-wise because he gets you five receptions for 43 yards and a touchdown on five targets. That comes with being a workhorse back who gets all the work rushing or receiving. That's why Najee Harris continues to be a high fantasy value asset and why you shouldn't be selling on him or anything like that. Buy low on him if you can, if anybody else is worried about that, you know, once again, having a very efficient day on the ground. But that's why having a workhorse running back is so valuable. I'm not worried about the aspect of it, but it still held Najee Harris in check. The running game of the Ravens really didn't go off against them either. Something to kind of watch here. This, this might actually legitimately be a thing. Well, their defense isn't that bad. And the other guy who deserves a lot of credit is Derek Carr. I mean, he had 400 yards last week to get 382 yards and two touchdowns this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Back-to-back weeks. Derek Carr is going to be moving up the board. That's for sure. He's going to be moving up into that QB2 area where you are streaming based on matchup and streaming based on expected game script. Because he's had two big performances in a row now. Henry Ruggs finally having a game like they drafted Henry Ruggs to do for them. Five receptions, 113 yards, a big-time touchdown. This does not mean Henry Ruggs is fantasy relevant to me, guys. This, I, the only wide receiver who I think you can even somewhat have confidence in playing on a week-to-week basis and PPR only is Hunter Renfro. He continues to take a lot of the targets. But this game is still Darren Waller and then everybody else. Maybe they get mixed in. Maybe they don't. I'm going to have to see a lot more at Henry Ruggs before I'm ready to say, hey, you know what? Mm, Ruggs might be a fantasy guy. No, it's going to take a lot more than just that. So Brian Edwards still snap-wise, still played as the number one wide receiver. There's just not a Raider wide receiver that I want to own yet. This has not changed my mind on Ruggs. Darren Waller, I know after last week, this is disappointing. Five receptions, 65 yards, and seven targets. Keep in mind, it's still probably better than most of the tight end performances out there. We know better days are ahead. We know they're going to be going after him. Steelers are a decent defense, which is why they should deserve credit. Now, I'll say this. Steelers didn't have Devin Bush. They didn't have Joe Hayden, and they lost TJ Watt during this game. So that's three big-time defenders. This wasn't exactly the vaunting Steelers defense they were facing out there. But still, Derek Carr, he moves up in my board. Darren Waller's fine. Henry Ruggs I'm not paying attention to. Now, the running game-wise, Kenyon Drake moves down. Kenyon Drake moves down big time where I'm also going to hit this button for him and with a caveat. Prepare to be flushed. You can drop Kenyon Drake. You can. You can drop him. Look, if he's he's kind of like Trey Sermon where you don't don't drop him unless you absolutely have to. I'm not just going to actively look to drop him because he's still 
the passing catching back, and that does have value in fantasy football. But the fact that Josh Jacobs goes down and they bring on Peyton Barber out of nowhere, and he still gets 13 carries, he still leads the way in carries. The fact that Jacobs is out and Kenny Drake still doesn't get the full workload, that means he's always going to be a committee back. He's always going to be second in carries. He's just there to be the passing down guy. Now that that gets confirmed by playing Peyton Barber ahead of Kenyon Drake with Josh Jacobs banged up, he loses a lot of that upside value that you're hoping he would maybe have this season, making him strictly a PPR asset in my mind and nothing else. So if you're in half-point PPR leagues, especially if you're in standard leagues, if you need to drop Kenyon Drake, you can drop Kenyon Drake because of that reason. That was a big development for me. Go back to the Steelers side. You guys talk about the wide receivers. Deontay Johnson, great game. Nine receptions, 105 yards, and 12 targets. Unfortunately, the last play of the game had to be helped off the field. Mike Tomlin said he had a knee injury. Did not say the severity of the knee injury or the exact nature of the knee injury. We we will have to find out. I'm hoping Monday morning. We'll have something. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, we'll have something. That's why you should follow us on social media at BellyUpMDF Show. Keep you up to date. But not great when you're getting helped off because of a knee issue. It's just not a great situation. We'll have to keep your eyes on that. If he is going to miss a significant amount of time or any amount of time, Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool, of course, take the next step up. Smith-Schuster, six receptions, 41 yards, seven targets. Claypool actually got ahead of him this week with nine targets, three receptions, seven yards. You'd like to see that, but still... His value coming off of a big play, just like last week, his value coming off a big play, and it wasn't that much value on top of it. Uh, But with Deontay Johnson not there, that's a huge target share that gets voided. Schuster, I think, will fill more of the Deontay Johnson-like role, but Claypool, his target share would also go up. James Washington would probably be the third starting wide receiver. Just kind of keep that in mind uh, as we move forward when we get some, some clarity on that injury. Now, if Deontay Johnson turns out he's okay, he can play, He's still going to be the lead wide receiver. I think you're still looking at Schuster and Claypool as low-end wide receiver threes, high-end wide receiver fours. Claypool's case, he's a boomer bust because he can hit the big play, but otherwise, really a game script situation between those two. And of an interesting note, Pat Freermuth actually played ahead of Eric Ebron in snap. So not something I'm looking to pick up yet, but I'll keep that in mind as we are constantly looking for guys that we can actually stream at the tight end position. We move on to the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars. This game, look, Broncos all played well. Cortland Sutton was awesome. Nine receptions, 159 yards. The running backs were a little disappointing. Javante Williams was the more efficient back this time around. 13 carries, 64 yards, almost five yards a carry. But Melvin Gordon also having 13 carries, 31 yards. Also had two receptions for 38 yards, where Williams only had one target, one reception, 10 yards. This is just a 50-50 committee, and you just have to view it that way. And therefore, if they're in the right matchups, they could be low in RB2s. But ultimately, right now, they're RB3s until Javante, at some point, I do believe, will take over this backfield, whether by injury or by talent. Because I do think he's he's more talented than Melvin Gordon is at this point. Until then, it's a 50-50 split. Play him in the flex accordingly. We saw you know, Cortland Sutton, without Jerry Judy, got the hog, the ball, Noah Fant comes through with a touchdown. Otherwise, a pedestrian stat line, really, for him. Four receptions, 33 yards. Tim Patrick gets a touchdown. He played as the as the second receiver, but only by a snap or two over K.J. Hamler. It is those three receivers there. They'll be out in the field 
more times than not. Teddy Bridgewater had a nice streaming performance for you against Jacksonville. It's Jacksonville. You're always going to want to play everybody you have. Uh, and by the way, Denver's defense is legit. That's why Trevor Lawrence had a terrible game. That's why he was outside of my top 12. James Robinson didn't have much fantasy-wise. Marvin Jones was the only receiver worth anything. He had 11 targets. Leviska Chenault got injured in this game. We have to see exactly what that means for him. That means DJ Chark and Marvin Jones could get consolidated with their targets moving forward. They're not always going to play the Denver Broncos defense. So I do think better days are ahead for Marvin Jones and DJ Chark as far as that goes. I'm not going to take too much out of it because they're playing against a top defense. It's just too much for that offensive line to handle. The one thing I will say in this game script, James Robinson did dominate the snaps. It wasn't, you know, Carlos High getting an annoyance amount of work. He had 11 carries, 47 yards. He had the targets, three receptions, three targets, 17 yards. Carlos High played as the clear-cut number two guy. And these are the type of game scripts I expect the Jacksonville Jaguars to be in more of the time, frankly. Let's talk about the last game of that we're going to talk about in this recap. That's the Saints, the Carolina game. Look, I'm not taking anything out of the Saints side. We saw them play phenomenally against the Green Bay Packers. Just tremendously. Now with, we have a question here coming in. Marcus Eason on Facebook. What about Taylor? Do you think his pay, his play will be up? I'm not sure what Taylor you're talking about. I'm talking about the Colts. That was a little while ago. I said, he'll be, he'll be the main offense. That's what you're talking. I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. He'll be the main offense. Uh, but the defenses will know that too. And he's not always getting all the work. Naeem Hines is there to be the third down guy. So, I don't know how much more he would really increase for me, honestly, with Easton as a starting quarterback. Uh, getting back to the Saints, Carolina Panthers here. I'm not. I'm. I'm not taking anything out of the Saints game on this end. The Carolina Panthers don't have a good defense. This was just, I think, coming off of a high emotional win against the Green Bay Packers the week before, not being as prepared as they probably should. Jameis Winston not having a good game in this one. It was just one of those flat performances that just happens out of nowhere, and there's really no real tangible explanation for it. Uh, so that's what I'm not worried about. I mean, Al Kamara had eight carries for five yards, guys. If you think the Carolina Panthers have a great run defense, you're mistaken. They don't. This this was just, it was just crazy. It was. It was just crazy. Four catches, 25 yards, and six targets for Alvin Kamara. He was pissed off after the game. I expect him to bounce back. The one thing I will say that I do take out of this game will be this, unfortunately. Prepare to be flushed. Marquez Callaway was my number one sleeper. Snap wise, he's still playing as the number as the clear cut number one wide receiver. And technically speaking, in this game, target wise, he was too because he had four targets compared to everybody else. I mean, Kamara was a top receiver, but as far as receivers goes, he actually had the most targets. Two catches, eight yards. Uh, you can't play Marquez Callaway. You can definitely. I would actively look to drop Marquez Callaway because the time for him to even be relevant is running out. He wasn't going to be he wasn't going to be relevant when Michael Thomas came back regardless. And that's only you have three more games before Thomas comes back cuz remember they're they're buys week 6. So he can come back after that fifth game, after that sixth week. And all indications are that he actually is trending in that direction. So you only had three more games where he could be the top receiver as it is, two games in a row, two different types of game scripts, but either way, Marquez Callaway's just there's nothing there you can actually trust to play unfortunately, even after what we saw in preseason. So that's the only thing I do take away from the Saints game. On the Panthers side, 
Credit Sam Darnold had another good game, 305 yards, two touchdowns in this one. Christian McCaffrey, while not efficient, and we knew going against the Saints, they're a tough defense for running backs, gets the job done because he's Christian McCaffrey. 72 yards on the ground, 65 yards through the air, five receptions, had the rushing touchdown. That's why he's an RB1 because he's just matchup proof. DJ Moore coming through the big game for the wide receivers. Eight receptions, 79 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets. Absolutely dominated that facet. Robbie Anderson was targeted a little bit more, played a little bit more ahead of Terrence Marshall than he did the week one, but three receptions, 38 yards, in a game in which Carolina actually played probably one of their best games of the year, I think statistically, and both just both sides of the ball. I'm telling you guys, if you can sell Robbie Anderson based on name value, do it. I'm not big on Robbie Anderson moving forward. I think he's going to be more of a hindrance to your team because you're going to want to play him because of the name. And you're going to want him getting burned more times than not, especially when he doesn't get that big play for a touchdown. I'm telling you guys that right now. Keep that in mind. That's going to do it for today's show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. at Belly Up MDFF Show and on YouTube, the MD's Fantasy Football Show channel. We'll be back on Unhinged Radio from 6 to 7.30 on Monday and from 7 to 8 on Tuesday. So unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Give us a listen. Give us a follow. Subscribe to us on your favorite pod streaming app. Guys, we'll see you real soon and get you ready for week three coming up. So everybody take care. Have a good night. Have a good Monday night miracle. I hope you do too. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 